Robots are great, robots are chill. Teach them to love, teach them to kill. What if we taught them to think for themselves? Let's watch a movie and find out. Hello everybody and welcome back to the next season's installment of the whole movie podcast, Bot Pod Edition? Yeah. Bot Pod Edition as just co-signed by, yes, I have a co-host because I always have a co-host. Um, co-host, please introduce yourself to the, for this season of The Whole Movie Pod. Hello, I am Margot Carlson. Hello, what Margo. else should I say? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Margot Carlson. Friend of Jordan. Yes, a uh, dear, uh, dear and wonderful friend of mine and mutually mutual enthusiast for robot cinema. Correct. Robot rights. Mm-hmm. A uh, robot conversation. Mm-hmm. We're just we are passionate about the considerations that go into our fictional robots and cyborgs. Mm. Different things. Mm. Margot's gonna let you know about that in a minute. Um, but yeah, what are what are we what are we gonna do on this season? Of you're kind of you're leading the way as much as I think you might deny that you are. No, no. <laughs> Margot will at any turn I think try to minimize how smart I tell you she is, but I'm not gonna let her get away with it. Um, she's, she's the scholar, I would say, between us. We're both very intelligent. I just had a really fun time at college, and I make sure everyone I meet knows that. <laughs> I had a really fun time at college, but I feel like we talk about that in different ways. Right. If you're like, I had a really fun time at college, and I'm like, you're really smart, and you're like, you had a really fun time at college, I'm like, yeah, I followed around a bunch of drunk people yeah, and you took made their a pictures. Lot, you made a lot of friends, <laughs> and I, um, took a lot of classes and got really invested in whether the teachers liked me. <laughs> Which makes us perfect compliments um, mm-hmm. to be talking about this. I guess I will, for the purposes of sort of establishing, uh, what are we doing here? What, 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 how is our passion for robot cinema, Margot, going to funnel into this podcast? Yeah, so great question. Yeah. I think we will find that out as we go down the list, but I think that um, we're both enormous fans, as you said, mm-hmm. of. Uh, of films about robots, films that include robots, yes. because they are so about, like, metaphor. Like, every time... I feel that every time a robot is in a movie, mm-hmm. um, the movie is screaming at the audience, <laughs> this is a metaphor right. for humanity. Yeah. Or the horror of technology. Mm-hmm. Or, like, the transition of human labor into robot labor, etc. Yeah. Like... There is, there's such an, it's such an overdetermined concept, mm-hmm. robotics, mm-hmm. Um, and it feels highly imminent at this point in <laughs> yes. time. All of our favorite billionaires of the 21st century <laughs> yes. are are putting their whole billionussy into um, making robots real and making artificial intelligence real, making robots that can feel and suffer mm-hmm. and um, oh become slaves yeah. and experience violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that robot movies from as early as the 1920s mm-hmm. and 30s um, have been anticipating that and um, dreading it and wishing for it. And I can't yeah. wait to talk about how we feel about that. It just, and, and for me, I, I have a, it, in the way that like, I feel like for most people, but particularly, particularly when you're little, when you watch a bad thing happen to a pet mm-hmm. on screen. You, you like I remember watching Independence Day for the first time when I was little, yeah, and being like, you have Vivica Fox and her child running from the impending explosion, 
And I remember my heart beating out of my chest because I was like, the dog better make it. Right. Like the dog better. And I, I, I feel like that, that was, it's a shared experience of watching that and being like, well, the, that fucking dog better not die. Otherwise, right. there, there's now an entire vengeance genre organized around killing a man's dog. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it, the cat and alien better make it. The cat, exactly. And, and I found that as I have gotten older, that has not been replaced by robots, but I have found that robots have risen to a level of my fear for their well-being mm. in cinema, in storytelling, to where I'm worried about what's going to happen to the robot the entire movie in the way that, not because they are the same as pets, not because they are pets, but because they, the robot and the pet, are subject to the whims and desires and decision-making of the humans who created them, coded them, quote-unquote lord over them. Bought them. Bought them. And that makes me really fucking nervous for them because they are subject to our whims. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think the Boston Dynamics dogs... The Boston... Are Jesus. One of the big best examples of how humans can have feelings for non-feeling objects. Yeah. The rea- the global reaction I feel to watching someone at Boston Dynamics kick one of those dogs yeah. and it like scrambles and gets back up. Yeah. Is is like fear and sorrow and yearning. I'm so angry. Yeah, it's it feels like animal abuse. Watching watching like stress test videos yes. where you see like a, a, either one of their like humanoid robots or like their robot animals being like hit with hockey sticks. Yes. I, I want to leap through the screen and, and beat the shit out of the humans with hockey sticks. But the thing that's so interesting to me about robot cinema yes. is that um, cinema being a exhibitionist uh, medium mm-hmm. and loving to observe and penetrate mm-hmm. uh, private things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, for audiences mm-hmm. in sort of a fetishistic way. Yeah. Shout out Laura Mulvey. <laughs> <laughs> That's the absolutely, first theory reference. This is absolutely the thrills that Margot's going to bring to this podcast Here that I is. won't in this, which is how we are going to operate with one another here in Barry. <laughs> but you know, cinema being in that way, fetishistic mm-hmm. and obsessed with viewing things and penetrating them. Mm-hmm. Um, robots in movies are way more often than animals in movies uh, subjected to violence. Yes. So the same fear that you feel for the dog mm-hmm. in, what was it? Independence, Independence Day. Day. Yes. <laughs> the same fear you feel for the dog in Independence Day mm-hmm. is, um, is, is doubled by the fact that they probably will die. Or this, whatever, this android, yeah. this cute little Wally type mm-hmm. type being mm-hmm. will probably at some point lose a limb or have its face sloughed off yeah. or be melted. Mm-hmm. And you just have to watch that and think like, well, there goes my friend. There goes my friend. And it's so uncanny when it's in a movie where the humans like celebrate that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like in, um, in Alien, for example, the first Alien, mm-hmm. Ash is this like sinister um, uh, extension of the machine of the company. Wayland Utani. Yes, exactly. That they work for, and he has he has no feeling and no care for human life. Mm-hmm. And the reveal that he's a robot is very violent. He has that, as you know, that like milky acid seep out of him. Yeah. Um. Uh, but it's still like. Even then, I'm like. Okay, so we now I want to know everything about this robot and mm-hmm. how he was programmed and what his story is, mm-hmm. and instead he's just been like exploded, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. And I, yeah, the re- the fact that we 
yearn for and mm-hmm. feel for these non-living creatures that seem so human. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting to me. Well, in it, in it, like as you were saying, it's it, it, it's ever screaming metaphor at you. And yes. <laughs> I, I especially as a as, as technology is now ubiquitous in our lives, and and we have robot helpers. Which is what things like I Siri have and Alexa. a Roomba. <laughs> there you go. And that Roomba is my son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you feel that way because I would like to know that Roomba's being taken care of. Oh my god! You don't even know. <laughs> Roomba eats better than weed. <laughs> um, is that I? I don't think there is a clearer reflection of a person's um, empathy than how they treat their robots, mm-hmm. because there are these things essentially meant to serve our every need and desire immediately with no friction not repeating ourselves lest we get irritated and short-tempered like and I that freaks me out convenience freaks me out I won't get into my whole thing about convenience but convenience freaks me out because we're very dependent on it um but these things that are meant to exist as utterly convenient to us and if they stop being convenient then they're suitable for destruction right that's fucking insane right when they don't work anymore or we got a better upgrade. That's just, it's, 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 so it's, it's something I think about a lot. And it's something that, uh, makes me very sad. Yeah. Um, and so what we're going to do over the course of however many episodes we do this, we are going to, I, I would, I would assume, you know, things could change guys. This is, we're, we're making this up as we go. What I assume we're going to do is I think we're going to have a movie per episode that becomes like our pivot point. Mm. We will obviously mention many other things. There are many other tributaries and every conversation, et cetera, et cetera. But every episode will hinge around, like, a central film and the sort of questions that that film brings up. And we're going to organize probably around, like, a theme each time. And, you know, we'll hit major titles. We will hit um, niche titles. I would imagine that Margot, particularly, will will bring for discussion as something that, uh, well, this will serve as the perfect pivot point for X theme that I want to bring to the table. And I will be like, yes, I agree. And for today, though, Margot, how are we kicking off? The Robot Podcast. What is the movie that we're getting into today? I'm so glad you asked. It was a complicated decision. There are many (laughs) great ways to start. Mm -hmm. Obviously, well, to answer your question, it's AI artificial intelligence. AI artificial intelligence. Let's just accept that. (laughs) That's the one we're doing. It's it. We felt things watching it. It was (laughs) something I had accept is a good word there because it was something I had to accept. Mm -hmm. As um as I've told Margot, this is a movie I've been avoiding for. 20 years because I was aware of how sad it was going to be. So I was like, no, I right. can't. And I really tricked you. I was like, you, you'll be fine. But like, I knew you were just saying that. Like I knew it couldn't be true because I, I knew enough about it and how it ended to be like, no, this is going to be devastating. But she didn't know about the aliens. That I did not. <laughs> Which is a twist. That I maybe did not. Maybe they're super robots. Maybe, I, the 2000s year in the future <laughs> 2,000 years in the future thing is, yeah. is fully a Kubrickian nightmare. Yeah, as we as we, as we we mentioned last night, while watching it, Margot's second night in a row watching AI, bless her heart, um, was this movie has more endings than the third Lord of the Rings movie. I know. Just, and I say that with love. Yeah. And I, it was, guys, it was as uh, excruciating as I had been under the impression it was going to be. It was wrenching it was sad it was merciless mm. um but given what it is uh examining honestly why would it be any other way um it was not unfairly any of those things it just f- was f- 
fucking wrenching. It is. To get through. But it's, speaking to our theme, mm-hmm. or the theme of the show, the way that we feel for David mm-hmm. and Gigolo Joe. And, and Gigolo sweet Joe. And little Teddy. Yeah. <laughs> the, the way that we react to these robot characters are, is proof enough that these Obviously, they're being played by human actors, so that's going to be part of it. (laughs) But these uncanny, creepy little weirdos needle their way into our hearts Mm -hmm. and become so much more important to us than any human character we meet, because they're all assholes. 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 Fuck them. (laughs) Fuck the humans in this movie. It's a team robot movie. It's a team, like, robots should overthrow humans movie, which, which I adore yeah. <laughs> it's an opinion i share <laughs> yeah margo and, and me and margo have stated to one another in conversation that when when there is the uprising when it's when it's judgment day when it's the singularity etc uh we will be on the side of the robots yeah and we will be working as spies to undermine the human agenda yeah because humans will be in the wrong of course because we're we, the, the foundation of our relationship with artificial intelligence robots has already been so in the wrong that there's actually no possible way that we could be right Right. As far as I'm concerned. If you make slave labor and they decide to overthrow you, you've already like, you've already lost. <laughs> yeah. You're already the bad guy. You're already, there's, there's, there's no alternative. You're already the bad guy. And so what is, what is the theme? Because the thing about these movies is you could just, you could talk for a million years about a million different things because they bring up so much, which is why we want to organize around sort of central themes. And so, Margo, what is the theme that you would like to hang AI on today? So, yes, the the reason I picked this movie for us to mm-hmm. start mm-hmm. is, as you say, the themes are on the surface. Mm-hmm. They are, frankly, shallow <laughs> um, and, and easy to pinpoint and describe. Mm-hmm. This movie is about Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. This is a boy that wants to, that becomes obsessed with Pinocchio the story and mm-hmm. wants to become a real boy. Yeah which is in robot cinema, a story of passing Mm -hmm. and specifically passing the Turing test. Mm -hmm. And anytime that we talk about um, humanoid androids in movies, the specter Mm -hmm. of Alan Turing's uh, intelligence and machines Mm -hmm. um, uh, sort of has to be around because the question is always, does does this android trick humans into thinking that they are a human? Mm -hmm. And how do the humans feel about that when they find out? Yeah. Or do they know from the beginning and how do they accept this? Mm-hmm. You know, in the story of AI, we have a an android who insists that he has a soul, basically, yeah. is capable of love, should be treated as a real person. And the humans just cannot fully accept that. Mm-hmm. Often in these movies, the android is introduced as a human. Mm-hmm. It becomes revealed that they're robotic. Right. And the reaction is... You were tricking me the whole time. Mm-hmm. You're a villain. You're a spy. You're evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think any time that passing mm-hmm. is in a conversation um, in the same way that robots are big metaphors, robots passing as humans has to be a metaphor mm-hmm. for types of humans that are not granted certain rights right. and acceptance into society. Um, wanting to be included, trying to pass as normative enough to be included, mm-hmm. um, more normative humans <laughs> deciding that they don't get that privilege yes. or deciding that this special one deserves <laughs> yes. the privilege. I think that's a, it's a very interesting part about this movie is um, AI, of course, being the story of a family that is grieving a very sick child that is kept in some sort of like cryostasis pod. And this company uh, is testing out new forms of 
I don't know, robot product. And they decide to make, we open with, we open with an explanation of themes. A hundred percent. An explanation of themes in which we like lay out, here's the bullet points for your study guide for AI. But I wasn't referring to sensuality simulators. The word that I used was love. Love like the love of a child for its parents. I propose that we build a robot child who can love, a robot child who will genuinely love the parent or parents it imprints on with a love that will never end. And so uh, an employee deemed loyal enough to the company and in desperate enough circumstances to take on this prototype child uh, robot uh, he brings the robot into the home, it, and this is the story of David the robot, played by Haley Joel Osment, uh, developing or not developing a relationship his, with his new parents up to the point where they decide that he doesn't fit their lives anymore because they get their real organic little boy back, and he is shoved out into the wide world with absolutely no preparation or skills or preparedness. Truly exposed to the elements. Exposed like to the Greek elements. child of old. Yes. <laughs> and as he, as he goes through every harrowing, one harrowing trial after another, all he wants is to be a real boy so that his mother will love him. Yes. It's like his real child. It's, it's not just that he wants to pass as human. Mm -hmm. It's that passing as human to him will lead mommy to love me, which is yes. so fucked up <laughs> it's so egregious it's so sad this poor child has been programmed to need this more than anything else in the world mm -hmm. becomes convinced that it's achievable mm -hmm. through becoming a real boy mm -hmm. but the reality is if sweet little Haley joel osmond <laughs> turned into a real human boy and returned to monica and henry mm -hmm. and martin Mm -hmm. And was like, I'm not a robot anymore. They would be like, you're not our kid. Yeah, we don't care. We actually, this has nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, that was an excuse we told it's ourselves. It's just a tragedy. It's truly a tragic story. Well, it is. And the, and the insidiousness of David's design is that once programmed to, be in, to, to have a parent imprint upon them, they then love that ch parent like a child would in an unceasing way mm. for eternity, as long as they function, the only alternative is destruction. Once you make the commitment and you you make you make the imprint, this child's entire existence revolves around being loved by its imprinted parent. Now, Monica, for our own protection, this imprinting is irreversible. The robot child's love would be sealed in a sense hardwired and would be part of him forever. Because of this, after imprinting, no mecha child can be resold. If an adopted parent should ever decide not to keep the child, they must return it to Cybertronics for destruction. And fucking Monica, fucking Monica. is like, instead of giving this child the sweet release of death, yeah. which is truly the only way he will ever know peace, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to abandon him yeah. and tell him to like try and make it. Yeah, make it. Just make it out there. Meanwhile, I mean, her line that she says before she drives off. I'm sorry I didn't tell you about the world. <sighs> is such a perfect end to act one. Mm -hmm. Because we, When we've audience, got six more to come. Yeah, girl. <laughs> yeah. We, the audience, have not, um, we don't know anything about the world either. We've been told in the opening sequence that, mm -hmm. uh, like, 
there's strife. Things aren't good. Yeah, global warming has ruined everything. But we are in this like socioeconomic bubble mm-hmm. of the extremely wealthy. It's mm-hmm. Black Mirror over here, guys. <laughs> yes, everyone it is. is so rich mm-hmm. and. David enters this world and is like, well, you know, this is like the perfect white nuclear family Mm -hmm. that I am now a part of. We live in a mansion. Mm -hmm. My brother's having a pool party where his best friend has a robot serving man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like this is, this is like feudal. (laughs) (laughs) She abandons him in the woods and suddenly it's like, we cut to Jude Law. It's like, we got sex work, mm-hmm. we got violence, we got monster truck rallies where we murder robots. <laughs> yeah, flesh fairs. It's only going to get... flesh fairs. Yeah. We'll get into it. Yeah. It is only going to get worse from here, and we, the audience, are fully in David's perspective of like, oh, fuck, she did not tell us about the world. No. We don't know what we're getting into at all. <laughs> yeah. We do, we do not. And I'm, I'm wondering what... Why is the theme of passing so central to the conversation around robot cinema? And why is AI the one you wanted to get into it with? So again, Alan Turing. Let's mm-hmm. circle back to him. Yes. Alan Turing made... So he, this is a gay man uh, living in the closet in Britain in the 50s who um, people have speculated posthumously that he fell on the spectrum or mm-hmm. had Asperger's. And he... Um, he struggled to remain closeted mm-hmm. and struggled to, you know, hold down a job and be a likable person because of the stifling normative standards of that time. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that the alternative to passing was death. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knew the amount of cognitive effort that a very intelligent, highly active thinker mm-hmm. um, has to put into being perceived as a normative, heterosexual, neurotypical human man, Mm -hmm. that he understood that computers who were successful at passing that same test Mm -hmm. had to be sentient. Right. That was his argument. Mm -hmm. Um, And reading his actual theory on this, it's so full of tenderness and love for the possibility of computer Mm -hmm. thought he feel it's about politeness. He hmm. says if a robot tells you that it feels some way, mm-hmm. you should believe them yeah. because if someone else tells you they feel yeah. that way, there's no way to prove it. I agree. It's just polite. He <laughs> says that. It's so endearing and he understood what we understand, which is that like if robots think that they feel a certain way, mm-hmm. that's all that freaking matters. Yeah. Yeah. It feel, it's important to them. That's well, and, how they feel. And Alan Turing, of course, um, was convicted of homosexuality. and That's con- what I was going to say. Yes, condemned to such measures as chemical castration. He essentially was murdered by the British government by when he, when he was convicted. But what's so interesting is that Alan Turing essentially chose to come out by reporting the theft of his lover... Or that his lover had stolen something from him to the British police, mm. admitting to the police that he was gay. Mm-hmm. And the result was that he was chemically castrated. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, there was a breaking point for him mm-hmm. where he decided in his own life, passing as quote unquote human, mm-hmm. meaning like normative, heterosexual, neurotypical human male, mm-hmm. um, is not worth it. Mm-hmm. And I would rather be, I would rather be read as a robot or mm-hmm. rather I would rather fucking die. <laughs> yeah. And I think that 
that part of the conversation is so special for robot cinema mm. because in those moments when robots that want so hard to be seen as human, mm -hmm. when they malfunction, when they act a little bit too jerky or when their skin is ripped apart and their gears are revealed, mm -hmm. it hurts them to be seen as what they are. Mm -hmm. But often, hopefully, and in this movie, um, by the end, they, it's, they, I, I hope that they realize it's better to mm -hmm. be themselves. Mm -hmm. Joe and Teddy, these characters, we haven't even really gotten to them, but Teddy the teddy bear, mm -hmm. who is, has the a, sardonic companion, a super toy, loyal. super toy, super toy robot teddy bear companion of David's. I am not a toy. And then of course, Gigolo Joe, Jude Law, as a pleasure bot. Ravishing sex worker. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> my friend called him a Yossified Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> That's a very well put. <laughs> that is very well. At one point, he even Yassifies himself. He Yassifies further. Mm. And <laughs> we, won't, we don't have to get into your points of view on Yassifying, but you do have points of view that I appreciate. <laughs> um, but I, I, that's a that's a very good point about this movie is that aspect of the desire to pass and the idea of like robot passing as like metaphor for like human passing and and, and marginalized folks, um, that desperation to be seen as the thing that is awful, yes, the 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 need to be seen as a human for the robot when the human is the oppressor to pass as white, to pass as straight. It's like, wouldn't it be better to not have to? <laughs> wouldn't it just? And it, at every turn where you see this movie is such, it's so vivid and explicit in its demonstrations of violence against, like at one point you see David and Joe running through, they're, they're both on the lam. You see David and Joe running through the woods and a fucking hot air balloon that looks like the moon mm. comes flying over them and they, you know, they are among a bunch of cyborgs in disrepair robots in disrepair um that are scavenging through a trash dump to find pieces of themselves to put themselves back together and pieces of their faces are missing and they're they're they've been mutilated and even like they're, they're taken to the the flesh fair which is like a circus spectacle spectacle by seemingly like organic extremists who want to destroy all things artificial or at least spectate while things artificial are destroyed because it's probably not illegal to hurt robots because why would it be? Because they're not people. And so there's this terrifying and hideous display of like robot dismemberment, melting by acid, being shot from cannons, exploded, set on fire. And there's this absolutely wrenching moment where one of the bots is going into the basically like gladiatorial arena and asks another one of the robots. Would you be so kind and shut down my pain receivers? Oh my god. Why did you give it pain receivers? Why did you do that? It doesn't need that. It's only for you to know yeah. that you can make it hurt. Yeah. That's all it's there for. It's so people could know that they could still hurt them. I And you want to be people still. Yeah. You still think it's good to have those receptors. Yeah, you and, and 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 you know, and David will David will go through this movie just begging to be human, begging to be human, and the humans are the ones putting pain in things mm -hmm. to make sure that they can control things through pain. Right, murdering his people in droves for pleasure 
in a quote celebration of life. The, yes, the 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 flesh fair quote celebration of life. Why is this happening? History repeats itself. It's the right of blood and electricity. So when the opportunities avail themselves, they pick away at us, cutting back our numbers so they can maintain numerical superiority. I. So I first saw this movie as a little kid, like right when it came out on DVD. Yeah, for context, I'm 36 and Margo's about a decade younger than me. Yeah. So we just had different, we were like, that's a young fucking age to yeah. watch this movie. And I, Jesus Christ. I would say that the part when da the, David has just been abandoned by Monica. I would have been like 16, 17 around yeah. when this like Six came out on her video. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Oh my god, that's like, do you mean that's like me seeing Hellraiser at like three or five? Is you watching AI at like six or seven? But Violence Against Robots is is appropriate for children, Jordan. Right. Because they're right. not people. They're not people. <laughs> she said sarcastically. <laughs> um, no, the, the, the part when David is has just been abandoned and he stumbles across this trash heap mm -hmm. and meets his the first other mecca characters that he's met in the movie mm -hmm. and they're other than teddy mm -hmm. and they're like grotesque mm -hmm. and dismembered and but but the love with which spielberg um shoots these characters mm -hmm. I, it really was to me at that age watching it for the first time such an enchanting scene this is where margaret was radicalized everyone <laughs> <laughs> because and i said this to you last night it's like the island of misfit toys yeah. these are clearly people clearly like like very pathos filled individuals mm -hmm. that we meet they're they each have precious preciously crafted character design mm -hmm. they all look different they all have different roles we meet like clearly a sex worker we mm -hmm. meet the french au pair yeah. robot who even even shredded to almost bits uh, is beholden to their software programming to take care of david yes the we, little the little child left on its own it's so tender we do meet like a weird minstrel caricature of chris rock yes shot from a cannon <laughs> who gets shot from a cannon and then shredded to pieces yeah um and that is you know not ideal but <laughs> yeah but that moment where they're they're uh They've been abandoned. They're living on the lamb. They're living for themselves. And they scrounge through this trash to like repair their arm, insert a new eyeball, replace their old broken jaw with a new jaw. Mm -hmm. It's both um, horrifically violent and like very radical to me because the idea of like robotic self repair is mm -hmm. one of the coolest, most politically radical parts of robots. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I, um, am improving myself. It's what I love about L7. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, um... That and her socialism and desire for unionization, I would imagine. Hell yeah. <laughs> but it's all part of the same thing. It's like, I don't need anyone. I don't like need L7, humans. like, spring from your mind specifically. We'll talk about it. <laughs> yes, we will. Listeners, wait for the next one. <laughs> um, no, like... The thing, the thing of not needing humans to be fixed, mm -hmm. fixing yourself and improving yourself, mm -hmm. um, is was delightful to me at the time and is delightful now. Obviously, later there's when they're torn apart at mm -hmm. the flesh fair, it feels so much more. It feels violent and very upsetting. Mm -hmm. But watching them pre-torn apart, mm -hmm. fix themselves feels so. Um, whimsical almost and the music john williams is like isn't this magical <laughs> <laughs> well and also too I, I you know it it gets at something that 
Joe, Gigolo Joe, who is, he's, he's, uh, he's a, a rake. He's, he's funny. He's, he's, he's got so much flair and panache and he's he, the hottest person. He's extremely oh goddamn hot. He's extremely <laughs> goddamn hot. And he has, he loves the theatrical and, but there is, you know, he's a true friend to, to David. He's a true friend. He volunteer. he tells him at one point, like, come with me. Like, he volunteers to be like the steward of this boy that he's only just met. And he eagerly wants to help him from the minute he meets him. And he tells David in a very somber moment at one point, which is very much in contrast to the sort of silliness of, of his whole jig is that. She loves what you do for her. As my customers love what it is I do for them. But she does not love you, David. She cannot love you. You are neither flesh nor blood. You are not a dog or a cat or a canary. You were designed and built specific like the rest of us. And you are alone now only because they tired of you or replaced you with a younger model or were displeased with something you said or broke. They made us too smart, too quick and too many. We are suffering for the mistakes they made because when the end comes, all that will be left is us. That's why they hate us. And that's why you must stay here with me. And a part of that is obviously that that self-repair, the ability to just put yourself back together again and to keep enduring despite being blown up and cut to pieces and have like if I had half a face I wouldn't be alive anymore (laughs) but if I was a cyborg and I had half a face I could find the rest of my face someplace else and reassemble myself and there is a fascinating thing to watch about the self-sufficiency and the survivability of robots and then in contrast obviously with their like enslavement and their subjugation by people because we made things stronger than us to be more durable than we are intentionally because they're going to be the labor they're going to be the thing that fucking terrifyingly you put on the streets as like a substitute police force. Oh, like the, you know, something that you send in as a super soldier to spare human lives. They're meant to be more stronger than us. Right. So you're inviting the fucking singularity. Like you're inviting, we're inviting our own judgment day. Absolutely. Like we're rolling out a red carpet for it. And AI knew what Terminator knew, what <laughs> ev- all of these, fr- what Metropolis knew, which yeah. is that... Like, we can't, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do this. And yet, we're doing it. Like, it's happening. Oh, excuse me. Hello there, everybody. I just wanted to take a quick moment to ask you, folks, do you love movies? Do you spend your days thinking about how much you love to watch them? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their lives to bringing you top-quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From bumper stickers that tell the world about your love of the 1999 classic The Mummy, to stylish hats that celebrate the fine works of Nora Ephron. They have super soft t-shirts based on the internet's favorite collective husband, Oscar Isaac. Super Yaki brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks, and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. 
let's watch more movies. And if you are feeling in the spirit of the botcast, feel free to enter Super Botcast, that's all caps, no spaces, for a 10% off discount for being a listener here. Super Yaki's got a lot of great stuff coming up. We are excited to be a partner with them, and we are excited to tell you more about their drops in the future. Thanks, everybody. And now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. It is, <laughs> it's, at the very, at the very start, when we're in our, we're in our seminar, at the very start of the movie, uh, when, I think that's, is that Willie, William Hurt? Is that William Hurt who opens this movie? Um, yeah, uh, I believe that's either John Hurt or William Hurt, and, um, he is speaking, he's the head of the company that makes, William Hurt, William Hurt, um, he is the head of this company that's making these fantastic robots, and is the one whose idea it is, like, let's make a kid, like, because there are, there are caps put, you have to get a license to have a child, because resources are stretched so thin, what if we could make a child robot that would provide comfort and love for people who are unable to have children of their own, um, slash, I lost my own child and I'm grieving, right. and actually I want to just replace my own kid. Which is not revealed for an hour. At least. It's, he's like, I, this is totally, like, just um, a marketing tactic. Yeah, <laughs> this is... I just, you know, I just think this would be a good idea for the company. Yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna, not a mad scientist. I'm definitely not designing the prototype after my own child, 100%. Haley Joel Osment in the photos of the child. Haley right. Joel Osment is, is David. And we get the absolutely horrifying experience in the beginning scene where there is a robot sitting in on this meeting where he's talking to all of these people at his company. And he, you know, he stabs her with a pin, testing her. You don't know that she's a robot <clears throat> at first, though. She looks like another student in the room. Yeah, you don't, you don't know that. He just stabs her with a pin, and it hurts. And then we realize it's a robot. Then he's like, stand up. Take your clothes off. And mm-hmm. fortunately, uh, it stops before anything's revealed because it is a Steven Spielberg movie. But it is like, it is demonstrating to you the general perception of how it is okay to treat a robot by like, let me just to ask it to do anything I want it to do. And nobody in this room is going to twinge. We're not going to get any reaction thoughts on anybody's faces to show that they're uncomfortable with because nobody is. Because why would anybody be uncomfortable with ordering a female robot to get naked? Right. It's just a robot. I always remembered the spinach scene as the scene where... This is related, I promise. Mm. <laughs> I always remember... You know the spinach scene. Of course, yeah. Where David tries to eat spinach to, to basically yeah. in a battle with the real human boy, Martin. Yeah. Um, and his face melts off. Yeah, he's trying to like... He's trying to go bite for bite with his uh, organic sibling, Martin, because Martin, unfortunately, something cures him and he gets out of his cryo sleep and comes home. Oh, but she died. Fuck that kid. <laughs> and he... You know, they're taunting each other at the table and... As Teddy tells David before he eats the spinach, you will break. And he does break when he eats, which real faulty design. Oh my God, I know. Why would you Taking your really expensive technology and being like, we'll let it eat, even though this could totally fucking break the entire thing. Yeah. Ridiculous. Anyway. Not well thought out. But but I always remembered that as the first unmasking of the movie, which then of course becomes an enormous theme when we meet all the broken down robots. But Mm -hmm. that... That um, facial melt mm-hmm. it really stuck in my mind as truly horrific. Yeah. But rewatching it, the the first scene has a visceral unmasking with this fembot character, mm-hmm. where sh- she opens her mouth and Professor Hobby penetrates it with his hand. Mm-hmm clicks a button inside her mouth and her entire face comes off. Yes. And it's like the most quintessential. And then like moments later, he's like, now get naked. Like it's the most succinct way that I could be like, 
when robots are women, mm-hmm. they are <laughs> subjected to violence yeah. and sexual violence. Yes. As, as you said, based on a horrifying uh, headline the other day about somebody sexually abusing their female um, AI, as you said, any new technology like that can be imbued into a woman will be sexually assaulted by a man. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. We all, I mean, I knew kids who played the Sims and would mm-hmm. make their ex-girlfriend in high school into a Sim so that they could abuse her in the Sims. Jesus Christ. I know. This is, did you, I only. Those weren't my friends. These were all Marco's friends. This is the shit guys do. It is the shit guys do. <laughs> oh They're like, oh, God. I can't beat my wife in real life. Let me throw my axes at her face at <laughs> the axe throwing place. Yes, exactly. <laughs> let, me, let me get a dartboard. <laughs> let me, let me create a whole three-dimensional model of her. Mm-hmm. Let me create a fictional version of her and be like, what's everything I could never do to this person legally in real life? And folks, if you think that's not happening with VR glasses. <laughs> you're delusional (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's as bad as you think and worse and so yeah that and and yet like all of these things all of like you have this guy laying out all these you know why it's a good idea to make something love unconditionally which unconditional love is bullshit stupid there should be conditions on love like mutual respect (laughs) like not being violent yes love should be absolutely fucking conditional like big (laughs) believer in that and so the idea of you know let's make a child that loves almost like unconditionally to the point of like emotional enslavement right unwaveringly eternally circumstantially regardless this this mother could she could have been a a horrible mother and been like i miss my son but then as soon as i get another one i'm gonna maybe be beat him and abusive David's programming it wouldn't matter what would mom matter what him, mom yeah. did to him. Yeah, he would just clamor. As so many kids we know who would, he would just clamor to do more things, more good things for mommy to love him more. It is an absolutely horrendous, torturous thing to be like. No, this will bring relief to so many people, regardless of what it does to the robot, to the product. And we get one person asking that opening scene. It's I'm 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 very. I love that the movie opens with the posing of the question. Someone looks to William Hurt and they're like, If a robot could genuinely love a person, what responsibility does that person hold toward that mecca in return? And it literally cuts on that question. It's like, and now we're starting the movie. Now that we've posed the central question of the movie, Mm -hmm. what is our responsibility to children, basically? Yeah. Children that will unconditionally love us, or to this this creature that we've created with the curse of love, with the curse, with truly, he is cursed with love. It's like then it's like the next two and a half hours is like, and it will be sad. <laughs> yeah, the, the the answer is, and it will be sad, and and the answer is nobody ever takes responsibility for it. Right. The answer no is one. nobody. I can't answer Except that question. For Joe, I cannot answer the question. What is the responsibility of humans? To things that they love, because I I feel like I know the answer for me, but like, listen, that's a huge fucking philosophical question. The the responsibility is to love it back, <laughs> is to love it and take care of it and respect it and treat it like a living organism and a person. And um, but w- the answer within this movie is no- nothing. There is no responsibility to your creation because your creation is subjugated. Your creation is subservient. Yeah. Nobody but other robots ever take responsibility. For this little boy, and Joe, his- Teddy, the nanny bot, nobody ever takes responsibility. For- a little girl tries to help because children are pure, but like 
no ad- children are pure. No adult in a position to help ever does. Yeah. No human adult with the soul that we prize so much, with the organic nature of us. There is that. It's phenomenal to watch the crowd of the flesh fair turn on Brendan Gleeson. I was going to say, like, kind of them, but they don't actually care for him. Yeah, they just, like, they just know that they feel sick inside, like, thinking that this, because they think it's a real boy. The reason they're, the reason the crowd reacts to protect David at the flesh fair is because they're like, mechs don't plead for their lives. David is pleading for his life. The beautiful au pair that wants to care for David she has acid melted on her. Yes. And even in her moment of death, she's giving David this reassuring, calm smile. And mm-hmm. all the robots seem to be like, this is this is the nature of things. Yeah. I have to be murdered right now. I have to And be. because David doesn't want to die, mm-hmm. the crowd is like, well, the crowd literally says, robots don't plead for their lives. Mm-hmm. Why, why shouldn't they? <laughs> Why shouldn't they? And 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 why why was it a why was it a, a down the line thought? Why was it a an insane thought to give them agency? But of course, the rhetoric that Gleason uses when he's presenting David to the crowd mm-hmm. is the exact rhetoric that people in the real world use to talk about um, folks who fail to pass successfully mm-hmm. as normative human. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, "I'm David." Built like a boy to disarm us. See how they try to imitate our emotions now. Whatever performance this sim puts on, remember we are only demolishing artificiality. And it, it really, that's why like the, the, the way you will treat your robot servants, again, to me, is indicative of the way you will treat anything once you are able to rationalize its inferiority. Mm-hmm. Because if you treat your robot assistants poorly, or like you're shitty to them, or you snap at them, or you have like a deep sense of entitlement to like their their assistance without courtesy or without like patience, it's very easy to with any other person that you consciously or subconsciously view as less than you to treat them the same way because it becomes a sliding scale of who and what deserves respect and integrity. So if it's you know, well, robots don't plead for their lives. Like, we're, I'm just trying to get rid of artificial things. Well, what if you don't think, what if you don't think gay people are, right. are as good as you or as human as you or as valid as you? What if you think they're damned? Like, insert thing here to marginalize, to be racist against, to ostracize. A thousand percent. If trans folks are understood as artificial mm-hmm. to a certain section of the population, mm-hmm. that's argument enough for those people to enact violence. Mm-hmm. Boys and girls and children of all ages, what will they think of next? See here, a bitty box, a tinker toy, a living doll. Of course we all know why they made it. Steal your hearts to replace your children. This is the latest iteration in a series of insults to human dignity. And in the grand scheme to phase out all of God's little children. Meet the next generation of child designed to do just that. And this movie, I know Brendan Gleeson is the villain of the movie. Or yeah, one of the villains. One, one yes, of the many, one of the human many. villains of this movie. This movie, again, is on the side of the robots. Yeah. But this like depiction of constant violence and and 
this anti-robot rhetoric, it does, I think, reinforce and validate viewers who, um, well, I don't know that I agree with this argument. Cut that <laughs> she takes it back, everybody. She takes it back. Well, it becomes a thing of like, it, it, you know, there will be people ever who want to take the wrong message from a thing or like people who will watch The Purge and be like, you know, actually, well, like, yeah. I mean, my, my argument is When not... James, James DeMonico is the most anti-gun man you could have a conversation with. Right. I think my point is like, th- there is a pleasure in watching technology get destroyed, mm-hmm. watching a, the printer get destroyed in office space. Right. You know what? You know what? My sympathy doesn't lie with printers. There's a reason why. Fuck printers. <laughs> fuck fuck printers. Fuck printers. Thank you. Printers, you're the exception. When they're given sentience, I'll care. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, there's a reason monster truck rallies, which these flash oh, fairs are based on. Yeah. There's a reason they exist. Like, it is so fun to watch cars explode. We I went to monster truck rallies when I was little. They're so fun. And I think there's this, the, the fetishistic nature of cinema Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. camera Mm -hmm. the gaze if you will (laughs) if you will (laughs) is 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 fixed on these robots and is taking pleasure in their destruction just as the audience is just as the movie is telling us that that pleasure is unethical Mm -hmm. it is the movie and the audience of the movie Mm -hmm. still i think takes pleasure in it for example the au pair Mm -hmm. she's got that perfectly intact face Mm -hmm. and then she turns her head and her entire head is gone it's amazing and that like shot where she's looking at the camera and then turns and you see like her exposed interior Mm -hmm. happens like three times yeah and the only reason that happens is because of the cinematic pleasure of of seeing that yeah and being like ooh, cool special effect whoa fucked up like it is fun to look at that Mm -hmm. and it is violence against her body yes well, that is, I mean, and as as a devoted fan of horror films and as somebody who uh, would place the category of rape revenge films among their most enjoyed categories of movies, yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. I get that. And it's, it, there's, I think the reason it's, it's fascinating to watch this movie with, you know, a, a person like me and a person like you together, where we are very aligned on the things that upset us about this stuff, how uh, readily we both want violence against people. Yeah. I, I have no regrets, everybody. I have no regrets about <laughs> that. Up. Yeah, uh, double standard, I don't fucking care. When like, they threw a thing at Brendan Gleeson, you were like, kill him! Yeah, like, Rip him apart. yeah, I was like, why are you only throwing vegetables or whatever? Like, throw fucking knives at this guy. Like, <laughs> like, like, cave his skull in. When the, when the crowd, like, goes down into the, the arena of the flesh market goes, I think they are going to rip them apart. And I was like, fucking good. Like, hope they do. leave no dental records. Like, <laughs> obliterate this man. And it is, and it is, it's, it is, it's an interesting part of the exercise to know how much bloodlust I can have on the opposite side when my anger at the bloodlust for, mm. for, for robot bodies is so upsetting to me. I get that it's a contradiction, but guess what? Nor should you. I'm here for the robots. <laughs> Team robots. Because again, they didn't choose to be here. We put them here. Yeah, and we programmed them to be the way that they are. Mm-hmm. And now now everyone's getting mad at them. And now mm-hmm. for wanting to be loved. <laughs> and you fucking bought the robot. Oh my God. <laughs> but to an earlier point that we were making about, that you were making about, um, about the value that we put in the value that we invest in robots, mm-hmm. the respect that we have for them. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most fucked up parts of the movie mm-hmm. in a fucked up movie, 
um, is that the movie and the filmmakers and the expectation of, of the characters within the movie, but also the expectation of the film itself, mm-hmm. is that we understand that David is special because mm-hmm. he has the capacity for love mm-hmm. and no other robot does. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we're introduced to two, maybe three, if you count the au pair, mm-hmm. two other mechas mm-hmm. who give up anything going on in their lives <laughs> yeah. to take care of this sweet boy mm-hmm. gigolo joe which granted he's on the run yeah. from for being framed for murder so mm-hmm. he doesn't really have anything going on he doesn't have anything going on but he does take a liability with him yes and he says to david in that same scene where he says they don't love you they love what you do for them mm-hmm. he says don't go looking for the blue fairy stay here with me mm-hmm. he really is like yeah. i will adopt you and be your dad yeah if you want that yeah Teddy, meanwhile, like... Ugh. Teddy the pragmatist. Teddy is <laughs> such an angel, such a good, sweet man. <laughs> Get you a dad. Yeah, honestly. Who is Teddy? Yes. He's always mending himself. <laughs> Speaking of robotic mending. Yep, yep. Sewing himself back up. Sewing himself back up. He is an undyingly loyal teddy bear that is not programmed to be loyal he's just a toy and he's like well i have to protect david at all costs and neither of those characters gets acknowledged by anyone even the super robot aliens at the end Mm -hmm. as special in Mm -hmm. any way Mm -hmm. but to me they are even more special than david Mm -hmm. because they were not programmed to love and they chose to anyway yeah david david has um david has this interesting insistence of like I'm unique, I'm special, I'm unique, I'm special, I'm, I'm, I'm one of one, I'm the only one. He said that he murders the first version of him. <laughs> he, he murders his first mirror of himself. Oh, talk about Fully fucking an annihilation moment. Kill your double. <laughs> it is dark. And not for nothing, there is like some weird incel energy that comes off of David sometimes where he's like... Mommy, mommy, mommy loves only me. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Everything else is a distraction from loving me. Mommy, mommy, mommy. I'm special. It's like... If anything, that makes him more of a real boy than anything else. Honestly. (laughs) Honestly. Like, you've already started to adopt some qualities. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you really have. Like, you... you, I mean, (laughs) Henry... Is that Henry? Is that the dad? Henry, yeah. Henry who brings him home to be like a solution to their grief and then is immediately like, we should be suspicious of this. It's like, I'm sorry, you fucking brought him home without asking your wife. When he's like... Think about this. If he was created to love, then it's reasonable to assume he knows how to hate. It what is the not. fuck are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? Some of the part of some of this movie's dumb, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like Henry, who works in this company, knows absolutely nothing about the product he brought home. At every turn, he knows absolutely fucking nothing. One of the bullies at the birthday party knows more about robots yes, than Henry does. The one with the serving man. <laughs> yeah, the one with the serving man. And and through all of this, like it gets to the part where, of course, I had been anticipating, which is David. Literally, he gets in a fucking helicopter joe sacrifices himself to save david they're in the submerged city of manhattan at the end of the world this plane helicopter turns into a submersible gets ground grounded at coney island has a fucking ferris wheel fall on it imprisoning it underground and it's just left for david to look at this statue of what would be a blue fairy for him to pray for eternity that he becomes a real boy While Teddy's just sitting there like, we are in a cage. And it's like, oh good, David's going to sit and literally for two millennia, 
David until he freezes. It's actually, I was thinking about this. It's a parallel with Martin in the beginning. Fuck yeah. Because he's, when we meet Martin, he's cryogenically frozen. Yeah. And he comes out and is like, David encounters him for the first time as the first real boy. Yeah. And it's Martin who introduces to David the idea that he could become a real boy, that he's not yeah. real. It's David with some, it's Martin with some fucking emotional terrorism. Yeah. True violence of an emotional kind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what a fucking shithead. What a shithead child. Like part of his process of achieving real boyhood in the movie is is going through a process of being cryogenically frozen just like Martin was. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that weird? Shit. And then, then 2,000 years later, he's awoken by aliens. Yeah. When the aliens enter the chat. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, this is a Stanley Kubrick film, isn't it? <laughs> the sequence when he's been awoken, he breaks the blue fairy. Breaks it. He, this, this thing... He endeavored to get to, went through hell and high water to reach. He gets out of his frozen prison. He touches the blue fairy. And because she has become like a rigid piece of ice, stone, uh, just shatters. So David has killed the blue fairy. Yeah. Murder is the only blue fairy. Yep. And then he goes through, he like wakes up in the beautiful mansion that Monica and Henry live in in the beginning. And it's like hyper saturated Mm -hmm. and like kind of out of focus. And he's wandering through this empty house. It is so, it reminds me of the ending of 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> when, what's it, Dave, is it Dave? No, I can't do that. How? No, not how. Oh, what are you doing, Dave? It's Dave. Yeah. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Not, definitely not connected, but Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, some dude's always going to be named Dave. It's going to be Dave. Mm-hmm. He's going to be blonde. It's fine. <laughs> he's, he's like wandering through the endless rooms mm-hmm. and it's alien and creepy and the monolith is there. Mm-hmm. I was, it's so, I was like, never more than in this moment do I know we're watching a Kubrick movie. <laughs> it's 2,000 years in the future. There's robo aliens. Mm-hmm. David is like in the Requiem for a Dream. Jesus Christ. He's <laughs> and, just waiting to go on the television show with Ellen Burstein. Yeah, and Jordan and I are sitting on the couch in emotional anguish. I'm I'm crying. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 sniffling, I'm stifling back audible sobs. Sobs. Yeah. Yep. Uh crying. <laughs> As I knew gets I would worse from there. It only gets more I mean it gets better for David, but worse for us watching. Yeah. <laughs> and it and it it's to talk about this under the, the banner of passing, mm. you have these alien... All humans are gone. It's been 2,000 years. Presumably, they'll thaw out, like, other robots and stuff, because I guess some would have had to have been frozen, mm. like, in, when, the, the, when, the, when it hit, when the ice hit kind of thing. And they, they... I think they will endure, but he was... They didn't run out the David line, maybe? I don't know. But he is, so far, the only record of humanity that they have yes he's the most human thing he is the in the end he becomes the most human thing on earth david you are the enduring memory of the human race the most lasting proof of their genius he finally to these aliens who have no referent for what a human is they meet David. It's like, well, of course you are. Look at you. It's, look at look at you. It's like why would I think you're anything else? It's like a circle of hell. It's like a, <laughs> a punishment of a 
It's a, it's a punishment of a Hades-esque degree. <laughs> like Sisyphus, you have to push up the ball. Mm-hmm. Tantalus, you have to look at all the thing you want. I forget that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be tantalized. You have to be tantalized. David. Is that different than Narcissus in the lake? No, it's different. Okay. It's different. Okay. <laughs> David, you get to be a real boy mm-hmm. when everyone is dead. When when everyone is dead. But we were, when we were watching it last night, there's that part where all of the alien robots uh, <laughs> touch him. To- one, one puts his hand in front of David and reads he's the entire story of his existence and then every alien every successive alien d- makes like a conga line and touches the alien in front of them and so they can all be watching simultaneously right. what they're seeing it and what they're watching and we see it like <laughs> through their eyes is the movie like they're watching <laughs> yes. ai artificial intelligence yeah like the beginning to end yeah. beginning to end because yeah. david's entire life is the movie Exactly. And we're, and then in the next scene, the robots are like, we want you to be happy more than anything in the world. And Jordan and I are like, well, yeah, you watched the same movie we just did. You would die for David you, too. You would now die for David as well. You also need to get out there and find Gigolo Joe. I know. I know. I am. I was. Oh. I love Joe's last line, other than that, right before he says that, he goes, When you become a real boy, remember me to the ladies when you grow up. It's like, he Joe. he knows he that he knows it's not going to happen, but he's fully committed to, like, loving this child. Yeah. <laughs> and the mythology of it, it's so lovely. So when David is the only boy left on Earth, uh, he, he is informed by the aliens that uh, they can, it turns out, because he had a lock of hair of his mother's. That's a whole other story that's not really relevant. But he has a lock of hair of his mother's. Um, and, and from her organic material, they can regenerate his mom. But it turns out what they've learned is that the like channel of space-time that a life existed in cannot be replicated in a sustainable way. When the resurrectees fell asleep, on the night of their first new day, they died again. As soon as they became unconscious, their very existence faded away into darkness. So you see, David, the equations had shown that once an individual space-time pathway had been used, it could not be reused. If we bring your mother back now, it will only be for one day. And then you will never be able to see her again. David's like, no, you need to bring her back. Like, if you want me to be happy, basically, give me back. You need to give me my mom. My entire life is my mom. My entire millennia, all I've wanted is my mom. And I'm the only boy left. So they do. They bring back his mom. And he gets one day with her where, as Margo pointed out, we were watching, she becomes the far more uncanny thing than David is. Yeah. It's funny. When we meet David in the beginning, he... A testament to Haley Joel Osment's acting. Truly. He is very uncanny. Like He's he's off-putting. His movements, his behaviors are robotic. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that Monica at first can't even talk to him. She like, you pointed this out when we were watching it. She like is trying to avoid him but can't speak to him because she like can't accept that he's a thing with a mind. When, like, he definitely exists to obey in polite commands. Right. <laughs> like, just tell him to move. And at the... But over the course of the film, as 
he is exposed to the world and we, the audience, are exposed to the world, he becomes a real boy in the way that a, a child becomes an adult, yeah. kind of. Mm-hmm. And, like, right before he becomes cryogenically frozen, he um, he's, like, slumped at the edge of that building mm-hmm. and then just, like, decides to kill himself and <laughs> fall into the water. Yeah. And he looks so human, like ruffled hair. Mm-hmm. Like all of that stiffness is gone. He's th- so uh, embodied and mm-hmm. alive. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, Monica comes in and she's been like lobotomized because yes. her memories are only the memories that he has of her, I mm-hmm. guess. And she, he's been told, don't mention other people because mm-hmm. you're just going to confuse her. Mm-hmm. Like, So she is this like perfect creepy robot mommy (laughs) who's like I love you David (laughs) and it is the more uncanny than anything any robot has done in the movie yeah it's the most inhuman a person it's the most inhuman anything has been in this entire film it's pet cemetery (laughs) (laughs) she's been dug up from the graveyard and he gets to like the end of his day with her his most perfect day and he, uh, she closes her eyes to go to sleep, never to wake up again. And he closes his eyes next to her. And for the first time, he's able to go to sleep and he's able to have dreams. Jordan, I have a question. Yeah. Do you think he died? Well, what I wondered was, I don't think he died, but do you think he was, I was wondering if he was able to like finally power down. Like, do you, did he finally, like he could wake himself up, but because he's entered a place where, as the movie says, where, where dreams can happen, mm. does he close his eyes to live in a dream forever? Because why would David want to wake up again if his I mom can't so. wake up? I think he like willed himself to pass on, like I because we don't in it, the movie does not introduce the concept of powering down. It no, seems to it is in fact act. he can, like when they try to put him to bed the first night, he's they're like you know he's like should I go to bed now? And they're like yeah, do you want to sleep? He's like. I can never go to sleep, but I can lie quietly and not make a peep. Yeah, like none of the the mecca that we meet are capable of Mm-mm. doing anything but roaming around, running from humans. <laughs> Which again, as I like, why wouldn't you build in a fucking sleep function? I know our laptops go to sleep, our phones can be turned off. Like, why why would you create a technology that you don't just like like power down? Oh, I love when you make that sound. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Folks, this is Jordan's best sound. (laughs) It's a good good sound. Um, Why would you you do that? That's just weird. Why would you let it eat and not let it sleep? It's so mean. What the fuck is that? Especially if you're going to give a robot something that can, like, think about its own existence. Which, after after David goes through every trial imaginable, he gets his way back to William Hurt. And he's Mm -hmm. like... Until you were born, robots didn't dream. Robots didn't desire unless we told them what to want. David... What a success story you've become. You found a fairy tale, and inspired by love, fueled by desire, you set out on a journey to make her real, and most remarkable of all, no one taught you how. We actually lost you for a while. Abandoned by his mom, he was on a trial by fire to see if he would make it back to, like, headquarters. And they were like, we had to see if you could do it. Like, you found the will and you found the desire to live. Yes. It's like, why did you engineer this thing with, at its best, according to you, like according to its peak potential, would develop the desire to live and like agency and self-determination, but you wouldn't let it fucking sleep. You would just leave it with its thoughts once it developed them. Jesus Christ. 
Do you know what happens to insomniacs? They go insane. It's so cruel. Oh my it's God. So, no wonder these people, these robots are like malfunctioning and breaking <laughs> things and like um, basically destroying themselves. Yeah. They're all fucking insomniacs. So I think the opening scene, the big long exposition theory scene, mm-hmm. David or uh, Professor Hobby, who's William Hurt's character says something about how this child robot that he wants to build will be the first robot who dreams. Child substitute mecha. But a mecha with a mind, with neuronal feedback. You see, what I'm suggesting is that love will be the key by which they acquire a kind of subconscious, never before achieved, an inner world of metaphor, of intuition, of self-motivated reasoning, of dreams. The dream here is is who wants things, who wishes for things. Mm-hmm. And David obviously does that. Mm-hmm. He wants to be a real boy. He wants to meet the blue fairy. Mm-hmm. He wants Monica to love him. Yes. But um, but I think it's interesting that it ends, it sort of ends in this parenthetical, the clothing, the closing parenthesis mm-hmm. of, um, and finally he has dreamt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to be, I'm trying to figure out like what, what the movie wants us to, how it wants us to feel. Cause it feels like an inception (laughs) totem ending thing. I feel like uh, to me, because it's a Spielberg movie and not that Spielberg doesn't have any like teeth and things that he does and not that he can't do like intense things. Um, he of course can, but like, and he, and he makes dark things. Like E.T. is fucking dark. Jesus Christ. Talk about a movie I sobbed through. Talk about a movie about an othered person. Oh, don't get me started. I think you've watched me cry through E.T. <laughs> yeah, we, both, we both were there. We were the two people away. <laughs> At fucking 6 a.m. Crying through <laughs> E.T. Trying to sleep but not being able to because the movie is making me cry. Um, if you listen to the Odds Pod, you know, you, you can intuit we're talking about movie night on this one. Um, but it is, I think it is a... I don't, I don't love it, but I think it is about like, uh, the unbreakable love between a mother and child. Like, I do think it is about that. I think, I do think the ending note is that in the end that like, it worked, we trained it to love and it was a love more powerful than anything. Yucky. I know it's gross. David Ehrlich. Is that how you pronounce his last name? The critic? Yeah. Yeah. I think Ehrlich, Ehrlich. Yeah. David Ehrlich, uh, wrote this really great review of, AI that he wrote sort of looking back on having seen it many times mm. and more recently I will likely never watch this movie again yeah nor should you <laughs> no one needs to see AI artificial intelligence <laughs> well it's just like I, I I respect the brutality of it because it, it, it shouldn't be easier to take than it is with the things that it's exploring I don't know when I would be like it's an AI night mm-hmm. again well, when do you want to see Joe Gigolo again? That's, <laughs> that's when I know it's time. Right. Yeah. When do I need to see that little camp man? <laughs> but um, yes, David's review. Well, he he has this great, I wish I could remember the name, but this great uh, review of it talking about his experience watching it as a father for the first time. Mm. He says that mo- that scene with the imprinting, with Monica oh, imprinting. Oh, God. Um, Mind you, dad never opts to imprint. No. And also, shout out to Renesmee and Jacob. I hope they're happy. Fucking shit. <laughs> oh my god. Bella's furious. Um, but the- <laughs> You imprinted on my daughter? My daughter? My daughter? Um, that 
scene is shot with so much like love and affection and tenderness. And David Ehrlich says that um, what the the face that she makes meeting him for the first time as an imprinted child robot mm-hmm. it's how he felt meeting his child for the first time mm-hmm. like the the connection felt instant in a way that it was the concept of having a child was kind of uncanny and robotic right. before which mm-hmm. i think is true for all parents and then um and and he says that's fucking wild yeah he thinks and i i would agree that this movie is in large part about bringing a child into the world and Mm. that question the central question that the movie poses at the beginning of like what what is a human responsible for Mm -hmm. um when we build a child that can love unconditionally what responsibility does a person have to that Mm -hmm. is the question of parenthood Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and setting up the fact that we this is a dystopian future where global warming has ravaged the world Mm -hmm. and like we're on our way out basically yeah yeah we are introducing that this film is about like, is it ethical? Is it correct to bring a child into the world right now mm-hmm. in 2001, but also in 2021, <laughs> yeah, 20 years later, not an easier question to answer. Right. It's, and it, I feel that it's saying the love between a mother and son is beautiful, mm-hmm. but also you should not do this. <laughs> <laughs> right? Which is less about robots. Right. Kind of going off of theme, off theme a little bit, but but I I we couldn't end the podcast without mentioning that there <laughs> seems to be some quality of like, maybe don't have kids right now. <laughs> Spielberg and Kubrick are both like begging the audience <laughs> to obey. <laughs> I, in the final, the final shot we see of the movie is, is David going to sleep, maybe for all time, holding the hand of his, um, the sleeve of his mother, basically. Um, and, and and yeah, and then Teddy comes in from another room and he plops himself up on the bed and he sits in this way and kind of slumps that he seems to understand I, of course he does. Teddy understands everything. He, in the way that it seems to suggest that he never will wake up again because the way Teddy kind of crumples forward, I think he knows that he lost his friend. I love that reading. Because I think, like, the way he gets up there and he sits down, he just kind of, like, puts his little bare head down. I think he knows that David's never coming back. And then we see, we see every room in the house go dark one by one with the lights turning off until it gets to the bedroom and then that goes off too and then the movie's over. Mm-hmm. And it's goddamn excoriating. Yeah, we are also dead at that point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have also died. We've also passed on. AI has point. killed us all. <laughs> um, so then, do, do you think that does bring us to the end? Then? Yeah, I, I would say, yeah. AI, I can AI artificial my, intelligence. My camp analysis. <laughs> um, we went all over the place because that's what we're going to do. Um, but, uh, so that... That's that's AI for the week, and yeah, then thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, there must be some of you who tune in enough to my podcast yeah, thanks, to be like, Mom. you know what? I'll give this a try. <laughs> um, please, please join us. Please come back. Uh, I really like talking to. I do the Ots Pod because I love talking to Sam, and we yeah, love shout talking out to Sam Weinman, friend to, of the pod. Yeah, shout out to Sam <laughs> Weinman always. I I do the Ots Pod and Sam because I love Sam, and I love talking to Sam, and we love talking about that very specific topic that we've drilled down on with this. And I wanted to do this podcast because I love Margo and I love talking to Margo and I love talking to Margo about this very specific thing we share a strong interest in. So 
it's the exact same motivation. And I would just like for people to enjoy things that I, I would like to pe- for people to enjoy something in which two people are feeling very joyful about the material covered therein. So stop by the, stop by the new bot pod, everybody. Yeah. And also where else can we find you, Jordan? Uh, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U. And do check out the new Feeling Scene Please pod. Please do. It rocks. Thank you, Margo. It's so bad. Um, it's on the Maximum Fun Network, and I want it to be very popular. So everybody should listen to it, and everybody should tell... Just t- make your mom subscribe to a podcast. It's on the cusp. She's it's never going to listen to. It's the new big thing. <laughs> yeah. Be on the ground floor. Yeah. Um. So uh, obviously all the back catalog is there for this whole movie pod, the Ots pod, uh, and shout out to the Neon Demon Pod, shout out, favorite pod. Shouts out Oof. to that great work. Um, but yeah, those things are all sitting around for you to listen to and, and come back and join us here. How about you, Margo? Where, where should we direct people for you? Um, I am for your on... niche tweets. <laughs> <laughs> My few tweets. I am on Twitter at official underscore Margo, M A R G O. A coup to get that. Yeah, and that's also my Venmo for tips. <laughs> <laughs> that's a joke. Savvy. <laughs> Savvy. But it is my Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then elsewhere, you'll see me out and about in Los Angeles. Yeah, possibly. possibly <laughs> where uh, it's a highly likely that you will catch another discussion about robots. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm always yelling about it. So Yeah, stick around. I don't know what we're going to talk about next time, but we'll figure it out. I was... Well... We haven't talked about this off the pod, but I was thinking Blade Runner. Okay. The original, if you'd be interested. Yeah, of course I'd be interested. Because it is classic, and this yes. one is like new classic, but I mean Blade Runner. Controversial classic. Controversial, yes. Mixed, Controversial. Sometimes critically panned classic. <laughs> yeah. Versus like canonically. Cult canonic Recognized, classic. yeah. Yes. Okay, well then let's call it Blade Runner for next episode. Great. I can't wait. All right, see you around, guys. It's not up to me. Why is it up to anyone? Do you have people who test you and might switch you off? No, I don't. Then why do I?